Well, it's good morning from me. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Peter. I'm uh, one of the pastors around here. Uh, good to be here. You guys have been... Uh, anyone give me an amen to Pete Milliken and the other preachers have served you well over the last five weeks? Amen. Yeah, man. Yeah, they have. Uh, they've done really well. I, uh, I've been on uh, riding leave uh, for about... Uh, well, I was back this week, but uh, for about three weeks and had a week of leave before that. And uh, God's up to some really good things in us and through us. I was down at, uh, in Sydney yesterday uh, speaking at a men's conference in Sydney. And God was just up to some really sweet things down there as well. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to base camp men's and you're a man, you should, uh, you should take it. It was a blast. It was great. I took Phil Hook with me and, um, and we had a great time. Uh, this is a really important series. Uh, the elders made the call to, uh, to do this series uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, It's important for us uh, to become the kind of church that God would have us to be. And uh, it's also important for us to become the kind of people God would have us to be as well. And I want to set up the series by uh, helping you to see four reasons why it's so critical for us. And the first reason it's critical is because of the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in. The use of power in our culture is a mess. It's an absolute mess. Uh, you might remember, if you go back a bunch of years, that we had the, the Me Too movement. It was Harvey Weinstein. Um, we, uh, we had shortly after that the Church Too movement. So all these people came out and said, yeah, uh, I've experienced Me Too in the church. Um, and, and then we had um, the Royal Commission into Institutional uh, Child Abuse. There's this ongoing spate of domestic violence in our culture. And most of the time, it's men doing it to women. That's why it's on the news. That's why and it's not exclusively men doing it to women, but it's mostly men doing it to women. And there's a very simple reason for that. It's because in, in most cases, men are the more powerful people. And uh, this, there's some really interesting stats here, which I think are quite confronting. And, and they're the latest ones I could find on, on government uh, websites. And, and it's this one here. Uh, the prevalence of physical violence, sexual violence, and emotional abuse. It's back in 2016, but if you look on the left there, one in six women um, have experienced physical and or sexual violence. One in six, 17% of women. You see down the bottom, it's one in 16 men. Why is that? Because the men are physically stronger. So it doesn't tend to run as much in the other direction. It goes with who's got the strength. If you look at emotional abuse, one in four women have experienced emotional abuse. One in six men. That's pretty, it's pretty full on. See, these stats are stats about what people are doing with power. That's what they are. And it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a mess. And, and here's, here's the thing, I can put those stats up about those things and and sometimes in our culture, it actually gets to feel like the women, that women are innocent. But the truth is that we all have a problem with power. And, and wherever you see women have power, there'll be a problem with the way that they hand that out too and the way that they handle that as well. One of the things I think we've seen in our culture is uh, an increasing sensitivity to the abuse of power. Uh, there's a real hair trigger for it. I remember... When I started my doctoral research back in 2016, I did a research project in the church, and one of the big ticket items in my ethics proposals was all about how I was going to manage my use of power with people in the church that I was doing the research with. Uh, Because the power imbalance is a significant issue, uh, and it is a significant issue. Uh, And it wasn't just about the results, uh, getting good results, it was actually about the participants, it was about caring for people and not doing harm with the power that I had given that I was the lead pastor in the organisation and still am. And, and I'll tell you something, that's just at a research level and you just better believe that our culture has become more and more sensitive to the abuse of power. I think, I mean, this is just my gut feeling, but there is a, just a really high percentage of stories on the news that you'll see every night that have to do with the abuse of power. And I'm not even talking about the tall poppy syndrome, right? <laughs> Which is a whole other thing that Australian culture has to just kind of clip 
the abuse of power. And I want to say to you that our, our culture's sensitivity, the hair trigger that we have to the abuse of power is a good thing. It's a good thing. And by and large, I think the tall poppy syndrome uh, has got a lot going for it. But it just keeps continuing, doesn't it? As I said, you look at the news, you see domestic violence, you see corruption. Kevin Spacey just got off in the UK and Donald Trump's being indicted on a whole bunch of criminal things. And then you've got people who are saying that the ones who are accusing them of things are abusing power as well. And so it starts running in both directions and it gets a real mess. And it just highlights again to us that any time you give someone power, it seems to have this way of getting messy. It just gets messy. And, and it makes sense that um, there's, a, there's a reaction inside of us when you see the abuse of power where you go, well, now I don't want it. I don't want power. Uh, it, it just seems too much to handle. Like, don't, don't do anything with it. The risk is too great. But I want to say to you, that's a problem too. Because <laughs> you don't stop the abuse of power with no power. You stop the abuse of power with a good and appropriate and right expression of power and strength. But here's here's the problem that we find ourselves in, in our culture. Um, The constant calling out of the abuse of power, I think, leaves many of us in a place where there's nowhere to stand anymore. I, I felt like this a bit with the Me Too movement when it came out a few years ago. Is there, this was kind of my reaction to it inside, it's like, is there anywhere for a guy who's not an idiot or an abuser to stand? Is there? Because it seems sometimes, and I just, I'm just putting it out there, and um, I, hope, I hope this is all okay, but this is, this is what I got prepared, right? Maybe I'm just, haven't had enough sleep, but... Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That sometimes you see so many bad men. Is there any place for a good man? I think that's part of what you see in the culture at the moment. The sad thing is that what you see in the culture is in the church. Church has problems with power. The church hasn't always handled power well. The church has done poorly with governance. We haven't always done well. Uh, the leaders of the church here with the way that we govern, the way that we use power. And, and the reality is, when I look around, the church has been pretty ordinary when it comes to handling power at an organisational level. And, and then you have, as you saw on the slides just before, you've got abuse in the church. You know, people, when they talk about domestic violence now, they never uh, seem... I don't ever remember them talking about spiritual abuse now, but it, now it's a category underneath domestic violence. And there's a good reason for that because spiritual abuse is a really powerful thing and it's where people, uh, in a spiritual sense, use their power to exert control over other people. They hurt other people. But who knows it's not just church leadership, right? Uh, It'd be nice if we could all sit there and go, oh, it's the leaders. Well, maybe not for me. But it'd be nice if if you guys could sit there and go, oh, it sucks to be you, Pete. Like, you're one of the leaders, right? And, And you're the one that's making this place a mess. Well, I'll tell you something, that. Many of our culture's problems are in the church too. There's many of you, probably all of you at times, that use power against others in ways which are not right. And I want to say to you that domestic violence happens in the church. It absolutely does. We see the misuse of power in the church here, in people who call this place home. And, and some of you might go, really? Like, does that happen? I go, you better believe it happens. And I'll tell you something, when, whenever I hear about it, geez, it makes me angry. I get so angry about it underneath. And it's not an uncontrolled kind of explosion. I just, I get fiercely angry underneath because it's not right. It's not right. So not only has the leadership in churches had issues with power, and, and not only do individuals in churches have issues with power, but here's an admission for you. We might as well just get it all out this morning. Um, we haven't talked about power and strength enough in this church. Um, and in my experience in the church, the church doesn't talk about power and strength enough. We, uh, in classic kind of tradesman-like fashion, we turned 12 a couple of weeks ago and didn't tell you. 
as a church, right, on the 24th of July. Um, and I was, as I was prepping this message, I thought, I wonder if I can think of how many times we've talked about the importance of being strong and the importance of power. And I could come up with maybe two times in 12 years. I remember one in particular where I was talking about power and strength and it was to the leaders in the church and, and it was, it was, it's not that what I was presenting was that awesome but I just, it just, almost the body language of people listening, they sat up straighter and there was just a bit more, the shoulders went back, you know, and, and it's like there was a bit more spring in their step and at the time I thought we should, we should talk about this some more. You know, the church talks and, and if you've been here long enough, You've heard us talking about dependence and weakness and those are good things and they're true things but we haven't talked much about power and we haven't talked much about strength and that's an imbalance. We haven't gotten it right, I don't think. Why? Because God wants us to be a powerful people. That's what he wants. Not independently for our own ends but he does want us to be powerful and so I want to this series in some way is, is aiming to be some kind of corrective to it. Here's a third reason why we're doing this uh, series. Uh, we're doing it because God's designed us to be strong and designed us to be powerful. God gave humanity power and strength in the beginning. There was this like default kind of baseline amount that God gave and here's the bottom line, and, and you just need to hear me, and this is probably even something I need to say to the men, men, you need to hear me, um, that you're not meant to just sit and do nothing with it. You're meant to grow in it, you're meant to lean into it. You see, strength is given and grown. There, there are good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Hebrews 2 tells us that. But we need to be strong in order, to be, in order to be able to get them done. It could well be that God has these great plans for your life, but you're being really pathetic and you're being really weak. And it's like you're never going to be able to get that done unless you actually step up and grow in strength. Become the person that God wants you to be so that you can do the things that he has for you to do. Some of you go... Well, what about all the places in the Bible where it talks about dependence and weakness, Peter? And I'd just go, true. But what's the goal of weakness and dependence? The goal of weakness and dependence is that you would be strong. And I want to say to you this morning, if you haven't ever understood this clearly before, it is not God's plan for you to be weak. It is God's plan to use your weakness to make you strong. That's what his plan is. That's the direction of your life and some of you go yeah but doesn't it say in like second corinthians that we're supposed to boast in our weakness and i would say yes it does say that but read the rest of the verse what does it say when i'm weak then i am strong the point of weakness and dependence is strength you're meant to get to strength that's where you're meant to get to all right here's the fourth thing uh, fourth context for why we're doing this series this season well it's august the tail end of winter and we're all just sick and tired sometimes literally right sick and tired um when i was a high school teacher term three was always the hardest at school because there was no point to it all right Term one, you'd start off, everything's fresh and new and, and it was all exciting. Term two, you had reports at the end. Term four, you had reports at the end of school and term three, you had no point. It was cold and people got sick and, and, and the sun went down too early. And who knows that that's the season that we're in right now. And you got sick kids. Some people are getting up in the dark and they're getting home in the dark. There's a reason why palms whinge sometimes. The weather does it to you, right? Stuff happens and it just feels like a slog. Spring hasn't come. The weather hasn't really warmed up that much, even though it has a little bit. And, um, you know, I used to, teach, I used to uh, coach the open touch footy uh, team, the boys and the girls teams, when I was teaching. And uh, I used to say to uh, 
the players, I say, when you want to sub off, when you're absolutely cooked and you can't run anymore, I need another 90 seconds, right? Because that's when most of the tries are scored. That's when the opposition is wearing out. And, and that's, that's kind of, if, if, if I can just put a little bit of that in your veins over the next uh, four weeks, I'd do that. It's like, just give it another 90 seconds. Just push that last little bit. I, I hope that's what this series will be for you. You know, this, the third quarter, I know in the NBA, right? Who watches the NBA here? Anyone watch the NBA? Third quarter is the championship quarter. You don't win in the fourth quarter, you win in the third quarter, all right? And that's when you've got to slog it out. So, that's why we're doing it. Let me start uh, proper by uh, looking at what, um, what I mean by strong uh, and power. Here's a couple of definitions. There's strong is to have the power to do or withstand something, and power is the ability to do something or act in a particular way. So you'll see here that they're pretty, they're pretty synonymous, so uh, they're interchangeable. Uh, the big idea here is that strength is about being able to do something or withstand something, offense and defense, if you like. Um, and uh, I'm going to turn to Scripture in a moment, but before I do, I'll just make a note. At the end, I'm going to have a Q&A via text, and there's a phone number on the top of the slide there that you can text questions to as we go through now i want to have a look at a text in scripture about being strong right but if i go straight to it now you're not going to believe me and you're not going to believe james right so i'm just going to do a little setup for you here uh, so that you don't write him off when we read it right and and it's it is the setup right you, you might have heard the old saying that to someone holding a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Have you heard that one? Right? What, what is that saying? Well, what that's saying is that everything tends to fit into the way that you see things. Right? Another, another way to kind of cash it out is, is everyone brings a particular mindset to the things that they do. And your mindset plays into how you engage with what comes to you and what happens to you. Here's a definition of your mindset. Your mindset is comprised of the assumptions or beliefs you bring into the way you do life. Now, what James is going to do when we read in a moment is he's going to help to straighten up your mindset, right? Um, and he's, in particular, he's going to straighten up your mindset uh, that you bring to trials and tests that you're facing, all right? Now, this is, this is really important. Your mindset, your assumptions, your beliefs that you bring into things is really important. Let's uh, imagine, maybe we can just have a, an, an audience poll. Who had a bad night's sleep last night? Come on, be honest. You had a bad night's sleep and you feel terrible. Okay, you, everyone knows who to give a hug later on. And, and we, we, the rest of us, thanks for coming out. <laughs> thanks for coming out. But here's the thing. You could have a really bad night's sleep. You could get up in the morning and you could go, it's going to be a crap day now. I had a really bad night's sleep. Um, now I just expect the whole day is going to go down the S-Bend. And you see what's going on there is your mindset, your assumptions, your beliefs are actually playing into the way you're going to engage with your day but here's the thing it's not the only thing that's going on in your day you know because sleep is not the ultimate determiner of what is a good day and what isn't a good day you, you know if, if you go into a day with a bad night's sleep and you go it's going to be a terrible day you're overlooking the the true reality that that god can override it that he can actually give you energy that he can help you it's, there's a mindset, there's an assumption, there's a belief that everything in your day is going to go badly because sleep didn't happen last night. You see what I'm saying? Your mindset influences the way you engage with what comes at you. Now, some of you at this point, I'm saying a few outrageous things today, some of you at this point might go, I think I've heard something like this in the church before, right? 
and, and it does get thrown around in the church. And that's this idea that you've got to keep all of your words positive. Keep all your words positive. Keep all your words optimistic. Just watch your words all the time because there's power in your words. The things that you say out loud actually influence uh, the things that happen. And, and I want to say to you, I'm not talking about that. That is not what I'm talking about when I talk about mindset. And I want to say to you that if, if you believe that, we need to have a conversation about it because it's actually got more in common with the new age idea of the law of attraction than it does with scripture, all right? Uh, it's just not how it works. The new age belief of the law of attraction says you bring into your life whatever you focus on. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your assumptions, your beliefs that you bring into things, your mindset. So in light of that, let's, um, let's go to James, hey? And uh, I'm just going to put it on the screen today. And uh, he's going to open with something that almost all of us are going to disagree with, all right, at a deep level. And my goal between now and the end of this message is to persuade you that it is so good. You can let me know how I go later, sometime in 2026. Here we go. This is what we're doing today, getting strong. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you believe him? Oh, some bold people. How'd you go? Happy to do a little Toyota jump because of all the testing and trials that are coming your way at the moment? Are you? I want to drill down a little bit. Now, James pushes us, right? Pure joy. <laughs> oh, nope. Nope. No, not going to happen. Can't do it. Not in this lifetime. Well... Hold on, because the reason for pure joy comes from his argument, which follows. Because it's not meant to be a willpower thing. Like, if you're sitting there and you go, what am I just supposed to enjoy? What's going on? This, this crap that's coming at me. And it's like, no, that's not what James is saying. He's going to give you the reason for it, right? And then he goes on, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And, and, and it begs the question, right? What kind of trials is... Uh, James talking about, well, many kinds. Take your pick, really. Internal, external, pretty much any trial, any temptation. If you're sitting there and you have some kind of trial or something going on, he's talking about you, right? And you need to consider a pure joy when they come your way. Now, notice what James does in this section is he switches from trials to testing, right? Because this is the reality, that when a trial comes along, it's actually a test. It's a test, all right? Very important test. Who knows that trials are a test? Who knows that? Come on, audience response. Okay, for the rest of you, trials are tests. Okay. What does he say next? The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, other translations actually use the word steadfastness, right? Now, what is perseverance and steadfastness? Strength. That's what perseverance and steadfastness is. Or, more specifically, perseverance and steadfastness is the ability to carry a heavy load for a long period of time. That's what it is. Here's an image which captures it. Anyone give me an amen for their life at the moment? Yeah? Now, this picture is, is, is the kind of meaning that the Greek word behind perseverance actually has in James chapter 1. It's about holding up a weight, but not just holding a weight up, but moving along with it. That's what perseverance actually is. I mean, staying power might be another way of putting it. You remember um, when I defined what strong and power were, it was the ability to withstand something and to do something. 
this person is withstanding something, they're lifting a heavy weight, and they're doing something. This is what James is talking about. Now, everyone knows that this is how it works. This is how strength actually works. It doesn't matter whether it's physical strength or it's intellectual strength or emotional strength. The way that you grow stronger is by being tested. That's just how it works. Uh, Take going to the gym, for example. I started going to the gym regularly a few years ago when I got my first gym program. My uh, gym trainer said to me, she said, now the way that you know that you've got the right amount of weights on the bar or on the machine is that you almost can't finish the last set that you have to do. That's how you know it. She said, if you do it too easily and you just mow through it, you don't have enough weight on. So I started light and I added more and more weight until I almost couldn't do it. And then my muscles adjusted over time and they grew and then I put more weight on. Because the goal is, if you want to keep getting stronger, you've got to have enough weight on the bar so that you almost can't do it. I mean, it's, it's a similar dynamic that you see in schooling or learning just about anything. You, you learn something and then you get tested on it. Um, it, it. It applies to playing an instrument. You know, you, you might be good at playing a particular song on an instrument. What do you, what do, you do next? Well, you get another song that's harder. And it's one that you can only play a couple of bits of it and you, and you work at it. And, and, and the goal is that you actually pass the test. You're strong enough to play it. It works like this everywhere. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. This is just the way that strength actually works. And what's the end result? You get stronger. Look at, look at what James says. <laughs> Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. That's the end goal, is maturity and completeness, not lacking anything. Who's down for that? I'm down for that. Now, typically, the way that the church has talked about uh, trials and testing is it's the way that God irons out and purifies and gets rid of all the junk in our life. And it totally does do that but I don't think that's necessarily the main thing that James is actually talking about here Um, you know what I want to show you is that there's this thread and it's a big thread that runs through scripture where testing is actually the way that you grow up and it's not just in James what he's saying here about mature and complete it's actually the whole way through scripture here's the first one first test ever the lord god took the man adam before sin came into the world and put him in the garden of eden to work it and and to take care of it the lord god commanded the man you're free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will certainly die now this is pre-sin adam and eve what's god doing he's setting up a test that's what he's doing why is he setting up a test? Because most people think, oh, God's setting up the test so that Adam and Eve fail it, and then he's going to bust them. That's not why he's setting up a test. He's setting up a test because that's how humans grow up. Now, what were Adam and Eve supposed to do? They were supposed to pass the test. You know, like, if I went to the gym and it were possible, like, I could go in there and put 700 kilos on the bar, right? And probably take my head off on the bench press, right? But it's not the point. The point of putting weight on the bar is so that I'd lift it. That's, that's the point of it. So when God puts a test in front of you, he's not putting a test in front of you to show you up when you fail, He's putting a test in front of you because you're meant to lift it. You're actually meant to pass it. And Adam and Eve here, they're meant to pass it. They're meant to pass the test. And some of us go, it's not really that hard. I mean, I've said it here before, like, 
If there are mango trees in the Garden of Eden, which I reckon most of them would have been, besides, I'm good, right? At some level. You kind of go, I don't think I'd do that, but then you know, and we all go, yeah, no, we'd all do, we'd all struggle with it. But do, do you get my point? Now, the point is that you're meant, to, you're meant to pass, you know, and this is another mindset thing, right? Now, often in the, in the church, we go, oh, I'm, I'm only human, which is like I'm fallen. I'm like, well, actually, that's not human. Being human is not failing tests it's actually passing tests um and, and when you come to test sometimes and some of you know what i'm talking about you get in this pattern where you just go well, i'm just going to fail again it's like well that's not what it's there for it's not there for you to fail it's there for you to pass and that's why you see scriptures like this one in uh, 1 corinthians 10 13 no temptation or test has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you're tempted, he will get you out of it. Nah, it doesn't say that. All right? Why doesn't it say that? Because the point of a test is to get you stronger. So what is God's plan for you in your life with the tests that come to you? To help you to get through it, not out of it. Now, there are tests that you need to get out of. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I'm talking about the, the middle kind of 90% of what we're talking about here. We can get to that later if you want to ask a question about that. Um, God tests you to grow you up. And if you work your way through Scripture from Genesis chapter, ch- chapter 2, you see that God tests the, the people of Israel after he brings them out of Egypt and their wilderness wanderings. What was the point of that? Well, it's very clear that God tested them uh, to teach them how to trust in him and and some of you go well, what does that have to do with strength and i just say everything just everything and then you come to the gospels and the first thing that happens um before jesus actually goes into his ministry what happens to him he gets sent out in the, in the into the wilderness to be what be tested why does he get tested because that's how you grow up. You pass tests. As a result of that, we get these verses in Hebrews which make people flip out sometimes, but they're actually not that complicated in the context of testing. And, and here they are, Hebrews 2 verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And we all go, I, th- I thought he was perfect. It's like, yeah, no, he's talking about the thing that James is talking about, about being perfect and complete. He's not talking about a moral perfection. He's talking about being perfect and complete as a human. And then you, you have this in Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, it became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. It's the same thing. You see that? It's the same thing. Humans grow strong and become perfect and complete through testing and passing tests. That's how it works. This is normative. Be tested, pass the test, get strong, become perfect and complete. Add more tests, pass the tests, get stronger, become perfect and complete. That's just how it works. Now... It doesn't always go this way, right? Uh, and some of you are probably sitting there now and you're thinking, that's like, dude, can you just come back to reality? Because that is not the world that I'm living in. It's not my lived experience. And so what I want to look at, just as I close, is some of the ways this whole thing can go wrong. And, and I want to do it by going back to the understanding of strength and power, which I defined at the start, which James was talking about. The ability to do something or the ability to withstand something. And so I want to start with looking at withstanding something. And here's an image for you. There's someone trying to stand in 109 mile per hour winds. Anyone give me an amen for their life at the moment? (laughs) Here's the thing. In this world, things are going to come at you. Temptations are going to come at you, troubles are going to hit you, and there's going to be tests. And the question's going to be, are you going to be able to stand them? Now, some people, perhaps there's some people here, 
you tap out before you've even done the first rep. You lay down on the bench press and, and you just go, no, I'm out. And like you're meant to do two sets of 10 reps. You're meant to do 20 of them. And you haven't even done the first one. And you know what that does? The sad thing about that is it's kind of like you stay in prep in terms of growing up. And I just go, get some weight on the bar. Pump that sucker. <laughs> you know, feel the strain. God, God has plans to grow you into a boss. <laughs> he just does. And if you stop before you even reach the first hurdle, it's a disaster. And now some of you, you know, you probably, maybe some are sitting there and you go, oh, now shaming me. I thought they would again shame, right? I'm not I don't mean to shame you. I want to lift your eyes up to what God wants to do with you. That's what I want to do. You know, sometimes repetitive failures and not even taking the first press on the bench press can, can end up being the only thing that you can see. But I want to say to you, and this, some of you go, oh, um, that's not encouraging at all, but it is kind of, all right? Because here's the thing, if you're stuck in repetitive failure at the moment and you're not even able to get the bench press up once, I want to let you know God's got harder tests for you coming. So you need to get through the one that you're in and then he's going to put another 20 kilos on the bar. Why? Because he wants to turn you into a boss. You get what I'm saying? That's what he's doing. It's like sometimes we just go, oh, I just want to, you know, if I get through this test, then I want to clear 20 years. Have you ever had that? Just a couple of decades, that's all I want, and then God can bring another one. It's like, no, he's growing you. That's what he's doing. So there's going to be more. There's going to be more tests. And you don't need to dread it. It's like, there's another one. All right, you know. I mean, if, you, if you're at the gym and, and there was this guy or this girl that just kept coming into the gym all the time and they complained about having to lift heavy weights all the time, what would you say? You'd say, don't even bother coming. You want to get strong or not? And, and there's, you could carry a little bit of that into your life, couldn't you? Especially in the, in the third quarter, you could go, right, it's, it's, this is the championship quarter. It's on. It is on here. And I know, I know that some of you got some big stuff going on, but this is the championship quarter. You see, in the past in the church, I've heard people talk about this James 1 thing. It's like, oh, you just got to be happy about the crap that's happening to you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to be happy about the crap that's happening to you, right? I'm just saying that this is the way that God made you and I to work. So when you get tested, there's a side to it where you go, oh, I can be happy about this because this, this is going to turn me into a boss. That's what it's going to be. I'm going to get really strong through this. And I think that's what James is talking about. Some of you are freaking out a little bit. Just going, oh, I thought we meant to do it with Jesus. And yes, 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 we'll get to that. Here's another thing I just want to say about withstanding things. Some, some of you probably make it harder than it has to be. Um. This is just the way that temptation works. In the, usually, temptation at the start is the easiest to beat, right? And there's this, there's this uh, section in Proverbs 7. I'll, I'll just read it to you to get a picture of what I'm talking about. Because we loiter around temptation. If you loiter around temptation, it gets stronger to the point where you can't not do it, almost. Proverbs 7, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, the adulteress's house, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Probably some of you are loitering where you shouldn't loiter. You know, you hang out where a temptation is and then it gets too strong. And you go, oh man, I'm finding this really hard to resist. It's like, that's right, because right at the very beginning was when it was the easiest to pass. You just hung around it for too long. Or as Timothy, as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, you should have run from it. That's what you should have done. 
Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I want you to hear me this morning. Temptations are always smaller and easier to beat at the beginning. But if you loiter, they get stronger and stronger and stronger and then you go, it just got too strong for me. And it's like, well, you, I say this in love. Well, you're an idiot, right? Because you should have gotten out at the start. And here's the thing. Have I been an idiot in that way? Of course I've been an idiot in that way. We've all been an idiot in that way, right? And I say idiot because, like, it is a dumb thing to do at that point in time. You have to get in early, pass the test early, get it squared away. Here's the last thing about withstanding uh, tests, um, uh, stubbornness. Now, this, this is a big one. Um, if you almost, I could almost have a show of hands, but I won't. Um, like, who, who's a stubborn person? They probably won't put their hands up. If I asked, who, who knows someone sitting next to them who's stubborn? <laughs> we probably have a few more, a few more hands. Um, here's, here's the thing about being stubborn. Um, stubborn people typically are strong people, right? But you just have to be stubborn about the right thing, right? Um, there's probably some of you who are stubborn about the wrong things and everyone around you is really frustrated with you. Um, you know, but there's a side to stubbornness. It's like there's a dogged kind of pursuit of something um, and, and you can have circumstances against you, you can have people against you and, and you just kind of keep going. Like that, that actually is... A, a strong person, you know, and it's, it's uh, use your powers for good, not for evil, if you're a stubborn person. Um, there's an Australian expression for this, and I don't want this to become part of um, Restoration Church vernacular, uh, but uh, some Australian expressions are helpful. Uh, and this Australian expression, um, well, they're helpful to explain things. Um, this particular Australian expression can be used in the negative and the positive, and some people might go, I think that's almost an expletive, but um, you know that phrase, someone who's bloody-minded? You know, it's got a negative side to it, right? But it actually is used in a positive way too sometimes. It's like you're bloody-minded, and it's like, I'm going to keep going. And um, you're just going to keep going when everything's against you. And I just want to say that some of you could do with a bit of that probably right now. I don't know what's going on in your life, but in a crowd this big, there's some of you who just need to be a little bit bloody-minded about uh, persevering and keeping on going. Um, right, that's withstanding things. Um, that's kind of defensive in nature, right? Here's, here's offense... <laughs> He can give me an amen to that one. Yeah. Now, you're not just made strong, and God doesn't just want you to be strong to be able to withstand things. He wants you to be strong to actually be able to do stuff. There is an offense, offensive component as well. I want to just talk about some ways that this can go a little pear-shaped. Here's... The first way, we can just be strong for our own benefit. Uh, some of us are probably like this. We want to be strong for our own purposes. It isn't really about others. We're working out of the gym. We're doing study. We're doing dot, dot, dot. And um, the end point of what we're wanting to accomplish is that we're just wanting to be better ourselves or be impressive or be a powerful person. But I want to say to you that um, your strength was never meant to be used primarily for your own benefit. That's not, that's not what strength is for. Um, I'm not saying that personal benefit is wrong. I absolutely think that there's a lot of personal benefit and that's God's goal with you. Um, but you just need to know that personal benefit is not the ultimate end point of why God's making you strong. Your strength is meant to benefit others. It's meant to benefit the world. That's what it's meant to be. And you'll hear some more about that next week. So unfortunately, we end up in 
this situation not only where um, people are strong for their own benefit, but people use their strength for themselves to get what they want. I see this in marriages. I see this in people who are not married. I see this um, young people, older people. I want you to hear me. God did not make you strong so you could get what you wanted, so you could self-indulge. That's not why he made you strong. I see men who push women, women around and it's not on. I want to say, if you're a dude that's pushing your wife around in your relationship and not serving her and laying your life down, her, down for her, you're out of line. You need to stop doing that. I know there's men, probably even men in this church, who sit on computers and click buttons fully clothed and look at women naked. And I know that there are women that do that kind of thing too. And you can, can you see what's going on there? There's this strength. I'm fully clothed. I'm not vulnerable, but she's completely naked. I see young men without a cause to fight for, just themselves. It's simply not enough to live for yourself. If you're under 90, it's going to say 30. It won't be enough to live for yourself. It won't be enough. It's going to be depressing in the end. It's going to be frustrating for everyone around you. The other thing that this one makes me think of um, and we're talking about how it kind of blows out is uh, people who don't do anything. I struggle with anxiety sometimes. Right? And uh, a good part of why I struggle with anxiety is because I think we should do things that are outrageous sometimes and uh, sometimes I've had people come up to me and they never struggle with worry or anxiety or anything and um, I don't even know whether it's happened in this church but it's happened to me in the past and and there's been a little thing inside of me when someone's come up and just kind of gone I don't know why you struggle with fear and anxiety so much and I'm like well you should just try doing something like anything <laughs> you know you should just try that you know, and, and I, would, I would say that to, to all of you today. It's like, do you, do you take risks for good? Because I'll tell you something, when you start taking risks, you'll start to have to wrestle with anxiety. And, and many of you are already doing it. I mean, having children is a risk, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Man, that could go anyway. And there's mums here now just going, hey, I'm, down. I'm, I'm with you on this risk thing. I feel like every day is a risk. Right? I'll just say that. Try taking a risk. Are you doing anything? Try washing up. Start there. All right? Start there. Don't, don't be stupid about it. Don't take stupid risks. But look for something that you can't do without God helping you to make it happen. And then do that. Find something to do that's going to keep you up at night. Not every night, but some nights. That's how you're going to grow up. Someone, um, I was talking to someone the other day and they, uh, we were talking about a, uh, a young guy. Um, I think he was in his early 20s. And they, they made the statement that... Um, they said, that guy is an old man in a young man's body. And it wasn't an insult. What the person was saying was that the young man was really, really wise. That's what they were saying. He was really wise and he was really grown up, but he was in a young man's body. How do you get to that? You get there by being tested and passing tests. You don't get there by being tested and failing. You get there by passing the test. So... I'm going to finish. Be this guy. 
right? You have to be in the strongest man in the world contest um, and you don't need to compare your load to anyone else's. But I would just say to you this morning, lean in and lift it. Get after it. Some of you go, I think I could probably only do five kilos on the bar. And I say, well, put five kilos on the bar. If there's something that God wants you to do, there's something that he would have you to do, and feel free to talk to some other people and gather some wisdom about it. But if there's something he would have you to do, go ahead and have a crack at it. You know, sometimes we go, oh, if I can't put 100 kilos on the bar, I'm not even going to do it. And you just go, well, I'll tell you something. You know how you get to 100 kilos? You get there by putting on 30 kilos. And this is the way that God works. It's like, okay, if I pass the test, does that mean God pulls off the 20 kilos? It's like, no, he'll just put another 20 on, right? And it'll be really good. Count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. Do you believe James yet? I'm done. Um, I just want to take a few moments. Uh, if anyone has got any questions that you'd like to ask, the number's on the uh, top right-hand corner of the screen there. I'll, uh, I'll field a few. I, I understand that um, when you do something like this, you say a lot of things and there's... You don't always kind of close off everything you need to say or tie off all the loose ends. So um, if you would like to shoot through a question, um, I will do my best to field it. Well, there's some good questions here. Actually, we're not going to have questions today. <laughs> going to be a test right uh first one if adam and eve were meant to pass the test how come they didn't didn't god have salvation planned for humanity through knowing they would fail uh yes he did uh but it just it, it doesn't i mean what i would just say is um you, you the fact that you see this running the whole way through scripture tells you and in particular i think some of the best uh, scriptures are pointing this direction are, are in Hebrews chapter 2. It tells you that the mechanism by which people grow up and become complete is through testing. Um, God always will work through failures um, uh, when people fail the test um, and he'll always do things. Um, but it's, it's always better to pass the test. Um, what would have happened? I, I don't know. Um, I, I probably don't want to speculate about that. Um, I, I think the thing that I would say about this, and this is something I, um, I have said recently to someone, and that's this, that um, while God will forgive people for failing tests and he will bring good things out of failures of tests because he promises to bring good things out of everything, you don't always get a redo um that's the important thing to remember if you if you look at the life of moses um moses was in egypt and he killed an egyptian and he he took off um i think probably god would have used him in uh, pharaoh's household to do the stuff that he wanted to do but he ran off uh and he was in the wilderness for 40 years and then god encounters him he says i'm going to send you back and he kind of gets this redo where he goes back in and kind of uh, does it the way it was supposed to be done but interestingly a little bit after that uh, in the wilderness wanderings Moses comes to uh, a rock and the people need water and God tells him to speak to the rock and he doesn't speak to it he hits it with a stick and God gets cranky with him about it and he says now you don't get to go on the land of Canaan and so in one case I think you see there's a redo and the other case there's no redo um, and you just you just need to know that that some things in life God gives people redos on it and other times it's like, no, it's, it's done at that point, you know, and it doesn't mean that there isn't grace and there isn't mercy, but um, it's kind of, um, there's a variation there in terms of what God wants to do. Um, oh, uh, does our church's complementarian view disempower women by denying them the opportunity to fulfil any role or responsibility that's in line with their natural gifting, natural and spiritual gifting is, i.e. women called to teach and preach in the church? We've actually never said that people can't teach and preach. We've just said that 
Uh, the church is, um, in our view, in our conviction about Scripture, is that the church is to be run by the, in a fatherly way. That's what we see from uh, 1 Timothy and from other sections in Scripture, which means that the elders are male because the church is meant to be led in a fatherly way. And we also see Sunday morning preaching as a place where the church fathers, in a sense, the elders and the pastors actually teach the church about what God wants them to do. Outside of that, we don't have an issue with women teaching and preaching. Um, I, uh, I think that's a great... Um, that's a, there are some great opportunities for them uh, outside of that. So I don't really see that as a restriction, to be honest. I see that more as, as God's design. If you'd like to read more about that, just go to our logged-in area of our website. We've got a whole position paper from Acts 29 that we align with on complementarianism. If this is the first time you've heard it, you can come and talk to me later because it often makes people's heads spin. Uh, what sort of tests should we avoid or run from? Well, I think there's wisdom involved. If you actually uh, go on in James chapter 1, the very next thing that James talks about is he talks about if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. And um, th- you need to ask the Lord about tests that are in front of you. Um, and which ones you should avoid or you should run from. Now, I would say any sinful temptation, you need to be running. The scriptures are really clear about that. Um, you need to get out of there. But things that kind of come at you, I mean, it's, it's always a question of, do I endure this and go under it or do I need to step out from it? And I think that there are genuinely times where um, the way that God wants to get people out of things is, is by helping them to find a, a, a route off to the side. Uh, because I think there are some tests that can break people. Um, I don't think it's 90% of the kind of tests that we're facing, but there are tests that can break people. Um, and we just need to be really careful with that. If you're not sure, I think the best way to uh, help to work out uh, whether it's a test you should avoid or run from is to be in community with other people and ask people who know you really well, what do you think I should do? Ask God, ask them. Um, the next one's kind of got some similarities to it. It's uh, what about the tests we try our hardest at and still fail? Um, well, it, it kind of all comes down to what you mean by you try your hardest at it. And I'm not saying that um, you're not and that you're not putting your effort in, but maybe you need to fan out the support that you've got. Um, maybe you need to get in earlier than, than what you do. I think that there are some tests where you can have some repetitive failures. But I think, I said this to someone yesterday down in Sydney, uh, the theological term is progressive sanctification. Um, and one of the things that happens for us sometimes is we kind of start thinking all or nothing. It's like we're either 100% in and passing something or we're 0%. And, uh, and I, I've just got a bit more of a nuanced view about what we can sign off on as a win, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so... Um, for example, I'm, I'm just trying to think of an example. For example, someone who um, looks at something on their phone that they shouldn't look at um, and was doing it compulsively and then they were resisting temptation for an hour before they did it. I'm happy to... That's a points win for me. Um, and, and so I, think, I just think that that's what we need to be thinking about. It's not that we want to open the gate, the floodgates to disobedience... Um, but I do think that we've actually got to look at progressive sanctification in a more of a detailed kind of nuanced way and just go, let's call it a points victory when someone's able to resist a temptation for an hour rather than five minutes. Like, that's, that's a points victory, in my view. It's not the end goal that we're looking for, but it's, it's some steps along the way to that. Um, someone asked, why are some... I'm happy to talk more about any of these. Why are some seemingly tested more than others? Because God loves you. <laughs> it sounds funny, but um, it's, it's, it's good, even though what's happening is not good. Um, you know, if you go to James chapter 5... Um, there's a, um, 
James says in James chapter 5, he makes a statement about, I think, it's a statement about all of humanity, not just the church. He says, we esteem people who have been, who have persevered under suffering as blessed. And uh, I think that's actually, I, I actually think that's true. I think that's true kind of community-wide. And, and you, may, you may not like uh, a whole bunch of stuff that's on the ABC, right? But the ABC's got a show that's called uh, Australian Story, and Australian Story is about people who have been through suffering and trial and have, uh, have made it through the other side. And really, really hard ones that actually get them on TV. And, and it's the, the, the existence of TV shows about that is evidence that what James says in James 5 is true. That we esteem people who have endured under, endured under trial as being blessed. And, and you can see when you're watching it, they've become different people. Now, none of us want to get put through the crucible, right? And um, you'd probably be able to come to me on Tuesday morning and just go, Pete, seriously, you know, there's a test here. You just need to pass it. And, um, and, and tests just aren't pleasant at the time. I mean, when I get to the end of my second set on the bench press, when I've got plenty of weight on the bar, that's not easy at that point in time. Like if you said to me, you having fun right now? I'm not having fun. Not in your life. But the result is good. Um, let me let me do two more oh there's some really good ones where is the place of being meek and mild in being a strong boss huge place for it right Uh, Aristotle said that an ox is a trained ox is meek right and an, and an, a trained ox is not weak it just has its power under control right that's what we're aiming for we are not wanting to be people where their power is out of control and their strength is out of control we want to be people who uh, have strength under control and can use it for really really good purposes um, the next kind of question was the same scripture tells us it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord it's true, but if you look at that scripture, what is it saying? It's actually saying that might and power that's done independently is a problem. It's like, you can't just get this thing done on your own. You need to get it done with the Spirit. And I just go, well, that's what the scriptures say over and over, is rely upon God, ask God for help. Why? Because then you'd be really strong. I mean, I used to say, I used to have these little questions that I asked my boys when they were young, and one of them was, how strong can you be if God helps you? And the answer I taught them was, as strong as Jesus. And that's exactly what we're, that's what we're gunning for, right? We're not gunning for independent strength. We're gunning for tightness with Jesus and being really strong, powerful people. And in a situation that he wants us to be in, we can be as strong as him. Amen? Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll finish. I wonder if you stand with me. We won't, uh, we're out of time, so we won't sing today, but um, very happy to. There were some other questions here. If you ask one of those, please feel free to come and have a yarn. If you want to talk about anything that I have said there, um, I'd be very happy to talk further with you about that. Let's pray. God, the instruction to Joshua was to be very bold and courageous. He was uh, leading the charge into the land of Canaan and it wasn't going to get done without him being strong, without him having a mindset that you're going to be with him. God, you know the hearts of everyone here today you know where they're at you know where I'm at Uh, I just pray that you would make um, whatever is relevant to us land I want you to make us a powerful people not for our own ends not independently I pray for anyone who's 
facing a uh, 109 mile per hour wind and is just struggling to stand. Would you uh, help them to stand? Would you help them to talk to someone about it? Would you help them to get people around them that can kind of help them to brace against the wind? Have a pray for, for anyone who's um, just needs to get going and, and attempt some things, take some risks. I pray that you'd stir them up, give them a vision for what you would have them to do, a vision for who you could make them as they lift some heavy things. And Jesus, we, we all just want to learn from you because you are the one who walked it out. You were the one who endured the fullest strength of temptation, the one who never gave up ever to the point of death. And uh, we would just ask that you would help us to be like you, to be able to take the strain of the things that are happening around us and, and, um, and do well. Amen.